Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Brave Parenting Podcast. I am your host and the founder of Brave Parenting, Kelly Newcomb, and this is where you'll receive the encouragement, insight, and information you need to raise kids of character and our culture saturated with media and technology. We call it Brave Parenting because it takes courage and hard work to not only keep on top of technology, but then discern how to incorporate that into your family's life. Our ultimate goal here is to keep you educated and equipped to raise those tech-savvy kids. Welcome to today's show. In today's news, we're going to be talking about Lori Laughlin's daughter, Olivia Jade, back in the news, as well as Stanford psychology expert giving us the number one skill parents need to teach kids. Our character focus will be on educated. Our app focus today will be on Google Classroom. And in our family focus, we're going to be giving you strategies for online schoolwork, how parents can manage that. Let's jump right in. Lori Laughlin's daughter, Olivia Jade, was begged by lawyers not to post her Instagram pictures. So here's the story. Lori Laughlin's daughter, Olivia Jade, was one of the Instagram influencers. And after her mother's college admissions scandal broke out, she was forced off of social media. Well, recently, she jumped back on and posted a picture of herself flipping off the media. U.S. Weekly reported that her lawyers begged her not to post anything because prosecutors are going to question her about whatever she posts and then show it to the jury. Well, the pleading didn't work, and she posted this picture of her middle finger. It received over 500,000 likes, and she tagged Daily Mail, Star Magazine, People, and others as well in this post. She's upset because she lost multiple influencer deals that came after the news that her mom and dad had reportedly paid $500,000 to make it appear as though she was a rowing team recruit in order to guarantee her admission into the University of Southern California. Now, Olivia's parents face a 40-year maximum jail sentence and will be fighting their charges, which include conspiracy to commit fraud and money laundering in court this fall. Interestingly enough, recently, fellow actress Felicity Huffman was one of the first of the 34 very wealthy parents involved in this college admission scandals to be sentenced. Felicity Huffman received 14 days in federal prison and must also pay a $30,000 fine and serve 250 hours of community service after she pled guilty on paying $15,000 for a test proctor to correct her daughter's incorrect answers on the SAT, thus greatly inflating her daughter's score. Now, when Felicity Huffman faced the judge in court, she expressed remorse and said, I realize now with my mothering that love and truth must go hand in hand and that my love coming at the expense of truth is not real love. Very interesting. She also made a statement after her sentence and said, I have always been prepared to accept whatever punishment the judge imposed. I broke the law. I have admitted that and I plead guilty to this crime. There are no excuses or justifications for my actions, period. I think that shows tremendous character for Felicity Huffman. Although she did wrong, as many of us do, we make mistakes. This is granted a huge mistake, but she admitted it, you know, for the whole world to see. And that type of honesty, that type of humility is, you know, very well respected. So it'll be very interesting to see how Lori Laughlin and her daughter, Olivia Jade, continue on until they head to court in the fall. 
Next in news, we have Stanford psychology expert telling parents, hey, this is the number one skill you need to teach your kids, but many parents are not doing it. So what is that? Well, he says that there are two kinds of people in the world. There are, one, those who let their attention and lives be controlled and coerced by others. And then there are those who proudly call themselves indestructible. So we can pretty much say there's people who let their phones and their screens rule them. And then there are those who can say no to that temptation and claim that they are indestructible. This psychologist suggests that we start explaining to kids at a very young age that screen time always comes at a cost of losing other good things. Maybe that means playing at the park or swimming or time to color. They also suggest that we as parents start explaining to children that the apps and the videos, the devices that our kids love that they are created by very smart people who intentionally design it to keep them watching and to keep them in a habit of not being able to stop consuming that type of media, which I think is a great idea. It's definitely important for our kids to know how they may be being manipulated. He also suggests to allow autonomy, to ask the child, no matter what the age is, what do you think the right amount of time on, say, the tablet is, and then allowing them to decide, well, maybe it's 30 minutes or maybe it's an hour, and then equipping them with the ways to balance and keep themselves accountable. We can ask them, okay, so you've chosen one hour on the iPad a day. How are you going to be able to keep track of that hour? And maybe suggest a timer, show them how to set a, maybe a kitchen timer, and then encouraging them to use that every time they use the iPad in order to create their own boundaries. I think this is a great idea. I definitely suggest it, whether it be young ages as well as teenagers. Ultimately, the Stanford psychologist says this type of pre-commitment where we go into it and say, this is how much time I I think is appropriate and this is how much time I'm allowing myself. This is what can help make us indestructible. I think that's a character trait we can all aim to achieve. All right, and our character focus today, we're gonna be talking about the virtue of being educated. Now, this is pretty broad, but we're going to hopefully define this a little bit and really empower you to build up this virtue in your children. Now, let's define it. Now, Albert Einstein is quoted as one of his most famous quotes is, education is what remains after one has forgotten what one has learned in school. Well, we want this character virtue to really be seen as a desire to seek out continual learning to never stop learning. Because education or being educated is far more than test scores or knowing facts or head knowledge. It has a lot to do about virtue, about emotional intelligence. Because you can have what you learn in school, that's your cognitive skills, but you also need to have strong non-cognitive skills, such as integrity, a strong work ethic, honesty, gratitude, and self-reliance. It's all of these that build up this emotional intelligence that contributes to how well we are, quote, educated. At the core, to be educated is intelligence plus character. So as parents, as we look to see how education is being changed by technology, this is where teaching these character virtues 
through technology is really important. We need to encourage and really empower our kids to use the knowledge they have wisely because that's what makes us as humans different. Our jobs can very easily be taken over by a robot someday. So it's important that they know how to apply the knowledge that they have that they're learning in school. Now, if you're like me, you probably hear your kids say, oh, I don't know why I have to learn this material. This history is never going to help me. This biology is pointless. I'm never going to use it later in life. However, we have to remember and encourage our kids, they are learning how to learn. And that is the core of an education, is being able to problem solve and transfer whatever information it is that they learned, even if it's a character virtue of perseverance or hard work, through that, and then transfer that into their everyday life. They are learning how the world works, and that is the goal. Also think it's really important to note as kids really think that this technology is the end all and I don't have to learn this material or memorize it because I can always Google it and Google will always be there for me to answer these questions should I ever need to know it. Well, this technology that we use, that we possess today, this was all created by men and women who were educated for the most part fully without smart technology and entertainment media in their childhood. If you think of Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, even Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, many of them are older millennials or Gen X who did not grow up with this type of technology. And the reason why they are able to create such amazing tools for us to use is because they learned how to be educated, how to learn how to learn and how to problem solve. And that's the goal. So they can't just be entertained or just find their answers through Google, they need to be that full embodiment of educated. That's intelligence plus character. In our apps five facts today, we're gonna be talking about Google Classroom. Google Classroom began in 2014 and has just skyrocketed across the country of how many schools have implemented this online student management system in order for teachers to equip students with the material they need inside the classroom. So fact number one, how schools and teachers use Google Classroom. Well, there are many benefits to using Google Classroom. These are pretty easy to see. First of all, it's really easy to set up. Teachers and students can join this very easily. It saves a lot of time because there's a lot of paperless assignments that teachers can create as well as students can access it anytime that they want and anywhere that they want. It also improves organization as students can see all of their assignments on their assignment page as well as different classes. Google Classroom also enhances communication as it allows the teacher to send announcements and start class discussions early before the class begins. Students can also share resources with each other and provide answers to questions via their stream of communication. It's also affordable and secure because like the rest of the Google suite for education services that we'll be talking about in just a minute, Google Classroom contains no ads and it does not use that content in order for advertising purposes. Now, G Suite or Google Suite, as I just mentioned, that is a cloud computing productivity collaboration tool basically that consists of Gmail, Google Hangouts, Google Calendar, Google Plus for communication, Drive for storage, Google Docs, Sheets, Google Slides, Google Forms, and Google Sites. 
So it contains all of that, which is really why teachers love it. Teachers can post PowerPoint slides through Google. They can put study guides, PDFs, videos, you name it, what kind of links they can put right there in there for students to access. There are also many apps that integrate straight into Google Classroom, such as Duolingo, Quizlet, Khan Academy, Math Games, Plagiarism Check, and many more that teachers can take advantage of. Teachers can also see how many users or how many students have completed their assignments at a glance on the classwork page, which can make it very beneficial. Students can also see pending assignments as well as those that have been turned in or graded. Teachers can also create their own tests inside of Google Forms. If they use school-issued Chromebooks, they can even put those Chromebooks in lock mode when they are giving these tests or assessments to the students that prohibits them from either taking screenshots or opening other tabs and searching online for answers. This is a great feature of Google Classroom that they just recently introduced this year. Teachers can also send notifications or they can you can choose to opt out of that. You can post all the work. You can put invitations up there to conversations, private notes, all of that right inside Google Classroom. Pretty much teachers utilize all of those features. Fact number two, interacting with friends and classmates. Any student on Google Classroom can message another student in their classroom and really collect all of their email addresses. An entire classroom is listed. You see everyone in the class and you can see all of their Gmail email addresses. Students have discovered recently that chatting via Google Docs is a great way to circumvent a parental social media ban. Kids will just create a shared document where they'll chat line by line in what looks like a paragraph of text, but really it's just a shared document that they're typing back and forth on. They use Google Docs to chat just about any time that they have to have their phone away, but they're allowed on the computers. Sometimes they'll even use the service's live chat function, which doesn't open by default and many teachers don't know exists. At the end of class, they'll either delete the doc or they'll resolve all the comments or they may even save it and leave it on there. Now, the team behind the parental control at Bark, which we highly recommend, they say that they have discovered more than 60,000 cases of kids ganging up on other children through Google Docs. So they really warn that this could be a place of bullying that is really out of the eyes and idea of parents. Many parents don't even realize that this could be going on. One kid, when interviewed, said, it really looks like we're being productive, he added. But the drawbacks is that you're not really working on what you're supposed to be working on, so you really don't get anything done. Now, as a parent, if you are concerned if your child is doing this, the best thing to do is to ask them if they are using Google Docs for this. I asked this of my children and I found out that yes, they do use this way to do it. And they've even showed me their documents that are shared with their friends. They're pretty innocent. A lot of them have shared memes. So it's just kind of a way for them to kill time. I was told that they're using it during study hall and not during instructional time. But this is a good way to just open up that conversation and make sure that you're talking to your kids about how they're using that and make sure it's being used for good. Fact number three, privacy and data collection on Google Classroom. Now, there is this concern of whether or not the child who is often under the age of 13 is actually giving permission for all of this data collection. Parents are supposed to be given permission, but there's always been a question of 
are parents actually signing yes that they're agreeing to the Google Terms of Service? I can tell you my kids, middle school and high school, use Google Classroom, and I actually have said no to using this to see if anybody from the school contacted me that I've not agreed to the terms of service and nothing's ever happened. So pretty much if the school wants to give access to the child and give them a Google Classroom and a Gmail account, it just happens whether or not the parent wants to or not. So that is a little bit concerning. The permissions that you are allowing, they do allow the camera because it's needed to allow the user to take a photo or video and post them to the classroom. You're also allowing storage access And that's needed to allow or attach photos, videos, and local files into the classroom. It's also needed to enable offline support. And accounts, you're giving that access to your account in order to, your Gmail account in order to use Google Classroom. Other than those concerns of privacy and whether or not you're agreeing to these terms of service, they do state that they are not showing ads to children. And that from what we saw is actually true. They are not using their personal information and sort of selling it to anyone, but they are tracking them. So say, for example, if during class time, my child searched for Game Maker. This is actually a true story. So this is when we went looked at my child's Google Classroom. He looked for Game Maker, which is a video game making software. Well, then because he went and searched for Game Maker on YouTube, if he was to then go to the browser and then search for something else, he might see an ad for Game Maker. And that basically just works in the sense that they're just tracking what they're doing and then serving up ads in different places, but they're not serving ads to them while they are in Google Classroom. They also state they provide a powerful ad setting so you can better control what ads you see. We went to those settings and you can turn off some things, but to be honest with you, it's not as powerful as they say that it is. Fact number four. Interland game. Many parents don't know that this exists. This is a video game called Interland. It's part of Google's quote, be internet awesome curriculum. And it is aimed at helping kids be safe, confident explorers of the online world. Now, the fundamentals of awesomeness, according to this program, includes accounting for personal risk and propriety while posting online. They call this share with care recognizing scams, which they call don't fall for fake, setting strong passwords, which they call secure your secrets, opposing online bullying, which they call it's cool to be kind, and recognizing when to go to a trusted adult, which they call when in doubt, talk it out. So those are all great concepts, but how it plays out is a little bit different. So be internet awesome. Implicitly, signals to students that Google is synonymous with privacy and safety. By focusing on personal choices, this program or game suggests that the power to protect personal information all lies entirely in one's own hands and locates the responsibility for doing that all on that individual. In reality, we know that a lot of these websites, these online companies are collecting data so very often without our knowledge. This is a game that you can, you're a little character and you see someone who's sad and so you go around and you collect these hearts and then you can give these hearts to other characters to make them happy and then you gain points. And so that's you being, you know, it's cool to be kind or you can secure your secrets or share with care and all around you, you're making people happy. And then maybe there's this bully who comes along 
and then you can grab a megaphone in the game and you can kind of yell at him and he gets taken up into the sky and then you're working your way up these different levels. And the whole idea of this game is to learn these concepts. But I watched my son play it for about 10, 15 minutes. And I, both of us were like, wow, this is really not exciting. And we're not learning anything. So you may have your child playing this game in school. My child was encouraged to play this game while they're in school. This is really just an advert game. It's just an advertisement for Google. Ultimately, we as parents really need to teach our kids what all of these concepts of share with care, don't fall for fake, secure your secrets, it's cool to be kind, when in doubt, talk it out. Those are concepts that we need to be teaching in the home, not just through a Google-based game. All right, fact number five is the rating system. Now, App Store rates it as 4+, Google Play rates it as E for everyone, of course. It is a pretty neutral app. And to be honest with you, our stance at Brave Parenting is Really, if your child is attending a public school who uses it, you really don't have much of a choice. It's very often, if your child is going to be educated here, this is how we do it. But at the same time, we have ability to to kind of join them, come alongside, and see how they're using it. If they start early in elementary school, ask them to log on and see what their account is. Most often, it really doesn't start taking a a big toll of their education until middle school. But even then, learn, is the teacher leading them to play math games instead of actually studying maybe physical flashcards? What is it that's going on in Google Classroom? Start early and continue that. Look alongside them as they're in their Google Classroom. See what type of things are posted. In our family focus, we're going to go over some more details. But ultimately, Google Classroom is not bad. It is a way for teachers to disseminate the information that they want. But at the same time, we as brave parents need to be a little more discerning in making sure that our kids are gaining that virtue of being educated. All right, our family focus today. We're going to be talking about strategies for online schoolwork. We just talked about all sorts of ways of being educated, talked about Google Classroom. So now we need to put this into practice. What can we as parents do as our kids are getting this education and so much of it is involving technology, it's, being, it's involved with being online. So there are lots of skills that are still needed by our kids that while they're not outdated and they're still going to prove advantageous for them as they enter adulthood, college, and career, but we need to be encouraging these skills and traits now. So let's start simple, communication. Let's go with the friends first. Nowadays, it's very easy to ignore just about anyone in the world. We can neglect talking to cashiers by going through automated checkout stands. Ultimately, no matter where we are, the grocery store or waiting room, the doctor's office, we feel more comfortable staring at our phones than we would be to strike up a conversation with someone else. Where our kids in school feel these same obstacles. In middle schools, I hear from so many parents where their kids don't have a phone and they're struggling to hold those face-to-face conversations that the parents want them to make. And honestly, the kids want to make too. Why? Because the kids all around them are staring at their phones. So what can we as parents do? Well, number one, encourage your child to interact and talk face-to-face as much as possible. If you look at their phone and see what they're doing with their time and maybe the 30 minutes before school, they're playing a video game, 
Well, that's crucial time that they could be interacting and talking with friends. Maybe disable that game from being played during that time, put it on downtime, delete the app and only put it on on weekends or whatever that looks like, but encourage your child and set them up for success so they can communicate with their friends. There is always a time for gaming and there's plenty of time for gaming, right? We have so much time that our kids are spending too much of it, but their friends always are not going to be around face to face. So set them up for success and encourage them and embolden them to spend that time face-to-face talking, communicating with their friends. Now, next, teachers. While it is easier to email teachers through their online classroom management software like Google Classroom, there is a tremendous value in knowing how to speak to an adult that you may either fear but at least respect. Many young people today do not know how to advocate for themselves, especially if it cannot be done via text or email or DM. But we want to encourage our children to be able to speak those hard things, those hard questions face-to-face. So what can you do as a parent? We're not going to do it for them. Number one, hands down, we're not going to do it for them. If your child is old enough to send an email, they are absolutely old enough to go and speak to the teacher, speak to the counselor, whoever that is, face-to-face and advocate for themselves. If you need to bring your child early to school or allow them to stay after school, and maybe they can't ride the bus, but you have to drive them, in order to get that one-on-one time with the teacher, embolden them to ask the hard questions. Admit, I don't understand this material, or I'm confused what you want me to do, or I failed this test and I need to make it up. Whatever that is, really force them into those uncomfortable situations. If we allow them to hold back and not have those conversations and to practice that sort of communication, then they will never do it and they will never learn. But no matter where they go in life, it is such a valuable skill to be able to advocate verbally for themselves. Writing. Now, when the teacher is putting notes and study guides and tutorials all in Google Classroom for them, why would they even have to sit in class and take notes? Why do they have to pay attention at all? You know, when it's test time, We're just going to go and look at Google Classroom and see what the teacher posted. I can read through their slides. I'll study that way. So right now, while I'm in class, I can just sort of tune out. That's what's happening to a lot of our students. They're not practicing the physical writing of notes in class. However, it has been shown through research that handwriting notes not only helps them retain the information better, but it also helps them focus better. So what can you as a parent do? Of course, you're going to tell them, encourage them, take handwritten notes while you're in class. But if they don't, what can you do? Well, these slides, these study guides, all of these notes are going to be posted in Google Classroom. If you do have a computer or if you have a printer at home, print off as much as you can. That way they're not viewing it all from a screen, but they've got paper in front of them and encourage them to rewrite them into note form. I know personally, when I was in college, I rewrote my lecture notes once, twice, sometimes even three times over as a form of studying for tests. This can be done with our kids too. They just need to be encouraged to do this because so often it's not being done around them. It may not be done by their peers and their teachers may not be telling them to do this. If they have a project and there's maybe three to four different options on how to do the project, you know, encourage them to do one that isn't just a basic sit on the computer and make slides. That's a very common one I see my kids do, but if they have the ability to make a poster or to write something, 
They can hand write first before maybe they type in the computer. They can turn something handwritten in. Encourage those type of writing activities. Hey, if you have to buy 14 different colored pens to encourage your child to write, I know that my girls love the different colored pens, even some of my sons. Do it. Don't let their spelling and their handwriting and their study skills drop just because they love the computer and they are really great typers. They still need to be able to have that skill of handwriting. Next one, concentration and focus. Okay, this isn't a problem for just Gen Z or people who use Google Classroom. This is every man, woman, and child because we live in a world where screens are always begging for our attention. So we have to just sort of sympathize with our kids. They're always gonna be drawn to do the other thing as they navigate online while doing schoolwork. Even when they're in Google Classroom, they may want to look at these Google Docs of conversations that they might've had with friends or maybe just email someone or chat when they should be doing work. It's just so easy to become distracted. So how can we help our child's concentration and focus? Number one, co-share some space with your child. We at our house at least require our kids to use the computers at the kitchen table. When there is going to be potential distractions, we want it to be in a public space. Often, my husband or I will also bring our laptops out there and do our own work right alongside them so we can kind of monitor that space. But go a step further and allow mutual accountability between you and your child. You can ask your child, hey, what are you working on? And maybe they say, oh, well, I was writing a history paper, but I kind of jumped over to YouTube because I needed a break. But they can look at your screen and be like, hey, what are you working on? Are you just looking at Facebook? Allow that accountability. You may not like it, (laughs) but it can really work to show that both of you struggle with that concentration and focus. Also, build in breaks where you can be productive for 20 to 30 minutes, and then maybe you take a five-minute break and watch a funny video or go for a walk. Number two, we can limit websites that they're going to have access to. If we know that they're gonna struggle with concentration and focus, if YouTube is a constant problem, we can block it. We can turn it off via circle if you have that to control the home Wi-Fi, or you can turn it off via, via the iOS screen time if they're using their phone, Google Family Link. Computers themselves allow for a blocking of websites. You can use it that way too. Find a way to actually limit the websites if that's gonna be a constant source of, of distraction. And number three, no matter what, set a time when all screens are going to be turned off in your home on school nights. Allow your kids to feel the natural consequence if they didn't get their work done because they were watching videos or playing games or just not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Don't give them extra time because, oh, I still have more homework. No, you know that all the screens are going to be turned off by, say, 9 p.m., Therefore, you have to get everything done by 9 p.m. If we're constantly wavering and away from that hard line of 9 o'clock, they're going to constantly be feeling like, oh, well, I can just watch one more video because I'll just tell mom I need more time. No, set this firm, hard stance, and hopefully they will learn because of this stance and some maybe negative consequences of not getting work done that they need to be productive during their time. Remember, our ultimate goal Going back to our news is that we want our kids to be indistractable, to pre-commit when they go to do homework, even though it's online, I'm going to get this homework done before nine o'clock and nothing is going to distract me. That's the ultimate goal. 
And the last skill that we really can help encourage our kids is mental math. Again, you may think, really, do our kids need mental math? Well, here's the deal. There is a reason why our kindergartners in first grade are not hand at calculators as they begin school. You know, they are taught and expected to memorize basic and addition and subtraction because when these basics are memorized, the brain can do so much more complex calculations easier. It's this whole learning to learn that we talked about under the virtue of being educated. And this type of brain muscle is so important to many aspects of life. But too often now, due to the ubiquity of calculators on smartphones, and really the use of credit and debit cards over cash, many children and adults cannot do basic mental addition and subtraction. So interesting, funny story. My husband has actually sort of set this challenge up. He really didn't mean to. It just sort of became a thing. Every week we go to two football games, um, a JV high school football game and then a varsity football game. And when we go to enter into the football game, maybe they tell us that our total is $14 to get in. And so he'll hand them very intentionally $24, expecting to get a $10 bill back. Or if they say that the total is $16, he gives them $21, intending to get a $5 bill back. Well, sadly, every time (laughs) this school season that we have gone to these football games week after week, we have seen grown adults using calculators for this basic subtraction. It's been kind of disheartening, to be honest. And so we look at this and say, no way, right? We want our kids to at least be able to do this type of basic subtraction without a calculator. So what can we do in order to help our kids have good mental math skills? Number one, practice those addition and subtraction facts hardcore. Don't let your kids leave kinder first, second, and third without having them really, really memorized. If you have to practice it over the summer, practice it over summer. But this truly, any parent who has a child in algebra or calculus in high school knows like it is crucial for you to get these basic math concepts down early. Number two, give them every opportunity to practice spending cash money and making change. It's really great. Send them into the store with $5 or you know a handful of dollars and some change and make make them see and practice this ability of making change and calculating the right amount of money to give someone. Number three, hey, if you're helping with their homework, be sure that they aren't using a calculator for these basic calculations. Encourage them to work those brain muscles. I know as we're helping our kids with their math homework, this is one thing we're like, hey, you should know these, you know, these multiplication and division facts. So make sure that you are always encouraging them. And if they don't know them, Sit them down with some flashcards and make them practice. And four, specifically ask math questions in everyday life. There are so many that can come up. Show them how you are always doing small little mental math and ask them to solve the problem along with you. That brings us to the end of this episode. If you missed anything or you want to learn more, you can find us online at braveparenting.net. Or if you have any questions about what we discussed today, you can email your questions to podcast at braveparenting.net. For an in-depth look at how you can build strong character using the technology that children love, pick up a copy of Brave Parenting's book, Managing Media, Creating Character, available on Amazon. Hey, don't forget to subscribe if you're listening on iTunes, Google, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. 
We appreciate that. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Brave Parenting Podcast, where we believe that character is greater than media and every child deserves a parent willing to set a new standard. Until next week, go and be brave.